Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at RiderFlex. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. And as a reminder, please subscribe to the RiderFlex show for updates on new episodes. And by the way, if you haven't already, check out the book we recently launched, The RiderFlex Guide, Inspiring and Hiring, available for purchase on Amazon. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360. Fuel your brand. Gordon Henry on the RiderFlex podcast. Hello, Gordon. How are you today? Great to be here with you, Steve. Thanks for having me. You in Texas? No, uh, I'm up in the New York area on Long Island. Our company is based in Dallas, but we're a virtual company, and I'm up in the New York area. Wow, how come I don't hear that Long Island? Usually there's a very strong Long Island accent. I don't quite, I'm not getting it yet. I I can't tell. It was bred out of me at a young age. (laughs) (laughs) Did you grow up there? Um, Yeah, I grew up in uh, Great Neck, Long Island, which is the western part of Long Island, basically right next to the Queens border, close to New York City. And that's where I grew up. And then I later lived in Manhattan, uh, moved down to Philadelphia, spent 23 years in Philadelphia and recently moved back up here to Long Island. But I'm actually a little bit further east on kind of the other end of Long Island. Oh, gotcha. Okay, very good. Yeah, I don't hear the... I can tell you've you've been around you've been around a little bit. You've done lots of travel and lots of different things because you're 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 a blended you're a blended accent there for sure. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's right. Yeah, between school and travel and work and so forth. Yeah, and the corporate office for Thrive is in in Texas, right? In da- outside of Dallas, right? It it is in Dallas. We have a uh, large facility uh, in what's the zip code is DFW, Texas, Dallas Fort Worth Airport. We're actually yeah. adjacent to the airport. In fact, okay. if you went. If you went out our back door and ran to the end, edge of the property and hopped the fence, you'd be on the airport property. I can tell you talk to people from Texas on a regular basis. That's also watering down your accent. <laughs> <a little bit. laughs> uh, you know, I remember the very first time I went to the DFW airport being a little farm boy from Oklahoma. And I remember thinking, wow, this is like a city. Just the airport was like a city. Uh, I haven't been there in a while, though. Uh, it is, it's enormous. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's handy being right, right there, right? You fly in and boom, you're there at the office. It's super convenient. You fly in, as you say, you're 10 minutes and you're in, you're at your desk in the office. But mm-hmm. we went, we went virtual during COVID, uh, like many companies did. Uh, so sent everybody away back okay. in, uh, you know, March of 2020. Um, okay. And then, you know, what happened, Steve, was, you know, April we said, oh, should we go back to the office? Nah, it's still mm-hmm. COVID. May, should go back to the office? No, June, July, July, and we kept doing that. And finally around August or September of that year, we said, this is all going super well. Things are great. Yeah. We're very productive. Let's just make this official. And we did, um, and it's actually nice. gone pretty pretty well. Yeah, um, we've let go of a couple other leases we had. Uh, the big office down in Dallas, um, we're looking at sublease if any listeners are interested, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, but we still have it uh, technically on our books for a couple more years. Yeah, even the most hardcore CEOs, the old school people, they're like, no way, man, they got to be in the office. They softened up, didn't they, Gordon? They're like, they, they, they saw like, wow, this, this can work. And now I'm saving $5 million a year on rent. Why wouldn't I do that? <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, I, uh, 
I can't speak for other people. Obviously, there's many different variations of how companies have been handling this, but I can briefly tell you our experience, which was, uh, as I mentioned, when we, during the first few months of the pandemic, we went virtual like everybody did, and we rethought, should we go back? Should we go back? Should we go back? Yeah. Finally decided, no, we're not going back. And the experience has really been overall positive that we were able to make uh, people, people were productive, people were responsible about it. Uh, we've measured the heck out of it, to be honest with you. We, okay, we, measure good, the pro- good. we measure the productivity of our salespeople, of our back office people, we measure everything. And it's really been successful for us. And I wouldn't I wouldn't be so bold as to say it's perfect for everyone because yeah. you know if you're l- l- I'll say it this way if you're an older meaning like 35 45 55 person who's maybe got kids at home um there's a lot of pluses because you can be you don't lose all that commuting time yes. uh and you have probably more time with your family or more time to do things you want to do walk the dog um so there's a lot of pluses to it I will say if you have uh you take a maybe a kid who's 25 and, and is living in downtown Dallas or downtown New York city in a, you know, 500 square foot apartment or something with two other, uh, with two other dudes. <laughs> yeah. They're, pro- they're probably not so into it. Right. Because they want right. to get out of that apartment. Yes, and and yes. so it's not perfect for everybody, but we found for right. most people, it's been good. And the other thing I would say, my, my other thought on it is some people have tried this hybrid thing, you know, like they get back yes. to work with a hybrid. Yes. They say, well, you know, we'll do yeah. both. We've been pretty, non-hybrid we've been pretty strict on just staying remote and the reason is a couple one is it allows you to hire people in places you wouldn't normally hire like we can handle we're hiring people in states and even countries where we wouldn't normally be um Mm -hmm. you know lithuania or whatever because Mm -hmm. they can work with us and you know the virtual thing obviously makes that possible wouldn't be possible if we required them to go to the office on friday um The other thing is hybrid for us, we found um, if some people are in the office and some people are not in the office, it's a bad experience kind of for both, particularly the out of office people, because they're trying to be in the room with those who are sitting around the table and they don't get the joke and they don't hear the little, you know, Agreed. comment. And so yes. it's really better in or out. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And by the way, as a recruiter, as a guy who owns a recruiting firm, firm i love it when our clients call and say yes all of our hiring is remote because it just opens up the pool right i mean you know we uh we had a client recently who needed 150 people for the same position in des moines iowa and i said well okay well can we talk about can we talk about this 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 role this this you could do that job anywhere we don't we can't you know why do we have to recruit all of them from the same town but anyway yeah it's uh, it, it, there's so many benefits to it. You're right. It's not perfect for everybody. And I do think about the, uh, speaking of New York, that was a topic that came up many times, you know, New York apartments are typically small for most people, except for, except for billionaires. And, you know, they got family, they got kids and it's a tight space and they actually want to get out of there. So yeah, it's not perfect, but, uh, overall Riderflex has been uh, remote for six, you know, ever since the life of the company. So, uh, or the birth of the company, excuse me. And so we love it. And, uh, I also think it helps with tenure, employee happiness, uh, you name it. Uh, you know, they just, uh, and I personally as the CEO, man, if I, if I ever have to drive to downtown again, Denver, like I, I actually went to Denver recently for a sales meeting with my co-founder trying to close a client. And so he's like, Hey, we got to be down there at nine o'clock. So we were in rush hour. And I, it's the first time I'd driven rush hour long time. Right. I called Scott on his phone. I said, man, people do this every day. I forgot. <laughs> oh God. No. <laughs> 
Yes. Anyway, uh, so so did you you grew up there as a kid? Mom, tell me about mom, dad, siblings. Give me some give me some history. Yeah, sure. So um, I uh, was born in the early '60s, uh, as I mentioned, in Great Neck, which at that point was a uh, yeah, the suburbs were just happening, you know, in right. you know, sort of Long Island. It wasn't as crowded as it is today. So I was, you know, relatively small town, I would say, uh, suburban community. Um, my parents um, both were, uh, were were Jewish. They both grew up in New York. Um, okay. My dad was a doctor um, and was really, in some ways, kind of self-made. His parents didn't have much. They 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 were really sort of first generation. Um, he he grew up in the Bronx on on Jerome Avenue, which uh, is kind of uh-huh. a you know tough neighborhood sort of even back then I think uh, you know he was a big New York Giants football and New York Yankees baseball fan because he grew up in the Bronx and um, and New York Giants baseball too he reminds me there was a you know, in those days, the, po- the Polo Grounds um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, he was a doctor and uh, you know I would say we were sort of middle maybe upper middle class. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, never, never like really wanted for anything, but also, you know, never felt like we were, you know, living in luxury. Um, my, my mother was um, was actually a lawyer. In fact, she huh. was one of the first she was she was one of eight women, I think the first class of women who graduated from Columbia Law School in 1953. Nice. Um, so, she, so she was kind of a pioneer, really. And um, she you know, she, cool. she stayed, she stayed home with us kids and never practiced law, like in a law firm later in life, she went back. Um, we were sort of growing up. She worked in a family law court, uh, in Nassau County. Um, okay. but she was kind of a pioneer. And then she later, she was also quite a good writer and she mm-hmm. later, um, became kind of an author writing books, mostly for high school kids. She felt uh, this is back in the seventies and maybe early eighties. Um, even back then, she felt there weren't enough good role models for young kids. And so she wrote mm. books, um, mostly about famous women, but not only who she thought were good role models for kids like um, Coretta Scott King and Betty Friedan. And she mm. wrote one mm. about Levi Strauss and, you know, sort of famous people, but really geared towards a teenage market. And um, she was, um, you know, she was really a, a very, um, uh, as I said, kind of pioneering woman for her her nice. day, um, and and That's a great nice. mom, and and my father was a was a great dad. But yeah, so I grew up in Great Neck, and you know, like most kids, I was into you know sports. I played football in high school. Um, you know, played a little basketball too. Uh, and you tall uh, guy? What's your what? How, what size are you? I'm only six feet, so I played high school high school basketball. Okay. I, I, okay. I was I was I was a running back and a linebacker on the football team. Oh, okay. So you were pretty good then. <laughs> yeah, I was I was I was I was okay. I didn't play college ball though. I did I did crew in college for for a year. Did you? Uh, went okay, to, okay, all right. And, went to uh, Yale. Yeah, I saw you went to Yale. So yeah, go ahead. First of all, you must have been a straight A student to get into Yale, obviously. I was a pretty good student and I did well on my SATs and, and, uh, I, uh, I'm a good writer. So I, 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 you know, was able to write some essays that they thought were acceptable. Well, you had to be, you had to be because your mom was a writer. I mean, you, you, I was automatic. Yeah. <laughs> my one true skill in life, I guess, is that I can do that. Um, so, so after Yale, I decided uh, to go into writing and reporting. I wanted, I wanted to be a reporter actually. And so I oh. went to, I went to work for, Knight Ritter newspapers, they offered me a job. They say, which newspaper do you want to work at? They didn't have anything right there in the Northeast. I ended up going to Wichita, Kansas, of all places, and lived out in the middle, <laughs> middle of the country for two years. 
That's funny, know. you know. Hey, my I've been to Wichita my, many times. <laughs> well, you're, you said you're in Oklahoma, so yeah, I probably yeah. probably been through. But I actually found living in the middle of the country and meeting the people there incredibly interesting and 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 uh, refreshing. Um, you know, having lived my whole life in the Northeast, I didn't know anything about the Midwest, and yeah. and I really loved yeah. it. I had two two great years cool. there. Um, eventually, I made way, my way back to New York, and I I worked at Time Magazine. Um, and I started writing about business there. They put me on kind of a business beat and I wrote about Wall Street and uh, I still remember the uh, insider trading stock scandals were breaking and I re- got to write about some of those. And it really inspired my interest in business. Eventually, I went back to business. I got myself into business school and went that. to Wharton yeah. for a couple of years and, and that started my business career. And then uh, now, before I ask you about wife, kids or partners or whatever you got going on now, before I ask you that, when I looked at your resume, I thought, and your LinkedIn profile, you know, I thought, okay, this guy's done all the right things all the time. Uh, well, give us something good. When, when did you take a wrong turn, Gordon? When, did you ever get in trouble anywhere? You got any good stories in there? Any, any, you know, come on, did the sheriff's office call your dad at any point? I mean, give me something fun. <laughs> wrong turns. Well, um, you know, I, I would say certainly in the in my business career, I've had lots of, um, you know, things that have, you know, not gone as expected. Um, I started a business um, way back when, so we called it Magazines on Tape, and it was really an early version of a podcast, to be honest with you. We we got licenses to to, uh, read magazine articles uh, on tape and sell the tapes as a subscription format. And it was it was a pretty interesting business. This is circa 1992, probably. So this okay. is like way before you know even most people had a you know podcast or a headphone mm-hmm. or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the idea was you play it on your Sony Walkman, if you remember that. And yeah, yeah I do. And uh, like that business, um, I went in with a friend of mine. He put a money. I put in all the sweat equity. And you know that business ultimately we had to um, you know pull the plug on. Because it's just uh, it, it, you, we couldn't figure out a way to make money. Were you but, working uh, at full? Were you working at full time? Was that? I was. was that how, yeah. Okay, so that was the only money you had coming in. So that was your first entrepreneurial journey, right there. It 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 really was, yeah. Uh, other than okay. you know a couple little you know jobs as a kid, you know, but but yeah, it was my first real entrepreneurial journey, uh, and okay. it started, and it's and it totally gave me the feeling of uh, you know it's all on you, uh, working kind of night and day to make the thing work. Um, I had a little tiny office that I rented out at 352 Seventh Avenue. I would often be up on that seventh floor of that building, and the lights in the whole building would go out. And I had this one office, and I had you know sort of like a little spare, I don't know, bulb or something that 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 worked at night. And I'd be working by this bare bulb by myself, and I'd be like scared <laughs> to walk out of the office down to the street because I was afraid I was going to get mugged. Um, <laughs> now, obviously, you weren't married at that time. Living by yourself. Yeah, I was single. I actually was right, right, right when I was first getting serious with my now wife, but I was still uh, okay. single then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, also you met this girl, and you're like, "Hey, listen, I, I don't really have. I got this company I'm starting. It's failing. <laughs> Come up to my apartment where I have one light bulb sometimes, but it'll be okay." <laughs> uh, how did you How did you meet your wife? Uh, blind date. Um, cool. We had a sort of funny story, but. Um, her college roommate was working for my brother-in-law. The college roommate hadn't met me. My brother-in-law hadn't met her, my wife now. And the two of them sort of got talking about who would be the ideal person for uh, my my brother-in-law's, you know, for, saying for me. 
And eventually they connected me with this girl named Debbie who was living in New York. I was this by this time I was at, I was still in business school and uh, and I called her up. I said I was interviewing for jobs in New York and um, oh. uh, we connected on a date in downtown in Tribeca. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another. It was great. But uh, wow, that's good. it was that's it was good. it was it was a blind date. And the funny thing was uh my friend, I was staying with my friend and she was going back to her apartment and I, I go back to my friend's apartment after the first date. And this was my high school buddy. And we were kind of the old high school buddies. We we're like, I'm never going to get married. You're going to get married before I get married. Like, uh, like one of those. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he's like, he's like, I come in at like midnight or, and I'm like, just got back from the day. He's like, it was terrible. Right. Like, they, you know, it was awful. I was like, no, I think we'll actually probably get married. And my, <laughs> wife, and, and my wife, goes back and her friend who set her up on the date calls her the next morning and says it was terrible, right? She says, no, we're probably going to get married. Neither of us knew the other one said that. How about that? Wow. Okay. Now I know, was she Ivy Leaguer as well or no? She was. She actually went to Yale too, but we, she's, oh. uh, I robbed the cradle. She's six years younger than me. So um, I never met her at school. It was just, it was through, a, the, the, it was a little bit through a Yale connection, but but not really, we never met at school. Oh, okay, very good. Uh, but that was obviously when they were trying to set you up, and they said, "Hey, she graduated from Yale too." There was a there's a connection there, obviously. Yeah, you got yeah it. I got you. you. Got it. Okay, very good. All right, very good. So, and how many kids you got now? So uh, we're lucky to have three great sons uh, who are all in their twenties, who I'm just okay. super proud of. Um, the oldest one is in uh, venture capital. The middle one is on Wall Street, working in investment bank, and the youngest one is just finishing up college at Tufts right now. So How three about that? Great kids, yeah. Well, wow, congratulations! And any of those boys, any rebels in there? Anybody that uh, veered off track at all? Anybody you want to tell us about? <laughs> veered off track. Um, <laughs> it, they've all had their moments for sure, but uh, nothing, nothing that uh, you know probably is out of the bounds of a normal high school kid. Probably of a normal high school kid, yeah. But you know what? A couple of a couple of run-ins with the police, but you know, okay. most of us have had those one or two, one or two times. Being a high school kid today would be tough i think with the social media and these phones and these you know they're sending you know got all these kids they're sending pictures to each other and they end up on the internet they're doing all kinds of dumb things that of course you know when you're 15 your brain is about like you know this size i always i always tell my friends i'm like man i'm glad i didn't have those smartphones when i was a teenager there's no telling i'd have gotten trouble for all kinds of stuff (laughs) you know steve I, i i've thought about that many times that um even though they're relatively young like my kids grew up pretty much pre-smartphone the the youngest one you know kind of caught it when he was i guess a you know teenager mm-hmm. but they were basically pre-smartphone and i can't imagine having a kid in fifth sixth seventh eighth Oof. grade and they're all running around with their phones and making each other feel bad because you weren't invited to the party and all that <laughs> stuff i i just i can't imagine it i uh, yeah it's it's rough it's rough the other thing uh that uh now did you have them all over for thanksgiving how'd you do how'd you do there did you get them all yeah, we, we did. We had we had uh, uh, a large part of the family over for Thanksgiving. It was great. Um, awesome. And all three kids were here. So it was, it was, it was, it was not, we ate too much and, you know, the usual. But it was great. You know, I have a so I have a 31 year old and a 28 year old son. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they do pretty good at engaging face to face, eye to eye and dropping the phones when they're around all of us old people. But uh, even even at their age, you know, there were a couple of times where I kind of elbowed elbowed them a couple of times, like, no, no, phone in the pocket when you're talking to Granny or whatever, you know, like, come on now, come on, you know, 
We're asking for a couple of hours here of real human human engagement. Lift your head up. <laughs> totally, totally agree. And and uh, my my youngest son is is interesting because he's the you think he's the most you know grew up with a iPhone, but um he 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 said you know he has a rule no phones out at at, at the table when you're eating. Yes. Yes. And, and, and I was like, wow, that's great. Where'd that come from? So yes. they, my sometimes wife, they, yes. they teach you things sometimes. My wife and I have that rule when we, when we eat out for dinner. Now we should probably follow that rule closer at home, but if we go out to dinner, you know, if, yeah. I, if I'm spending $200 on a nice dinner, me and Kim eating steak, we're not going to, you know, no, there's no like looking at your phones. No, uh-uh, no. <laughs> and I see couples doing that and I always think, wow. All right. Not good. Anyway, didn't mean to go down that rabbit hole. All right. So, you're cruising along. You, you meet this wonderful woman. Eventually, you get out of the crappy apartment. Career starts flowing along, right? <laughs> so, uh, so, so what happened was I, uh, I, I took this magazines on tape business. As I said, it was kind of an entrepreneurial thing, but it didn't quite okay. work. But I went to a, a, a company that was sort of in that business and pitched them on the idea of taking on our idea and doing something bigger, bigger with it. The oh, company... Okay. The company you probably remember because you're around my age, uh, Columbia House. They were the ones. They were the ones yeah. who sold you the records and tapes when you were in college, and you got ten CDs for a penny. You remember that? I was. Hey, I was a member, man. I was a member. Yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> we all were. We all were. You threw out your yeah. C. You threw, first. You threw out your 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 eight tracks. Then you threw out your cassettes. Yeah. Eventually, you threw out your CDs. So the Columbia House uh, uh, sort of backed me on this idea of. <laughs> creating essentially an audio book club we called it the audio book club and it, it did quite well we had a few competitors um Bertelsmann which is a big German company had they had the double day audio book club and there was a independent guy who started something very similar and there were three of us vying for the market and then eventually uh, Columbia House decided to sort of refocus on their core strategic assets which were the music and video businesses and not the audiobook business and we sold the audiobook business to our large competitor, which was Bertelsmann. And at that whoa, point, whoa, 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 hold on. Let me make sure I understand this. You guys took this business that you were working on with the single light bulb, Columbia, <laughs> Columbia invested or partnered or bought it. They basically, they, they, they bought it. Essentially they took they over. Bought the, it. Yeah. They assets, bought it. Yeah. And you, and then you worked and then you worked it and then they sold it to one of the, okay. Hey, yeah. well, well, your first, your first, your first entrepreneurial journey worked out just fine then. <laughs> it worked out. It worked out okay, and it you know taught me a lot in terms of how to handle yes. these various yes. negotiations. Nice. Um, you know, I probably would have done a little differently now if I was if I was you know 25 again. But um, I, it was great. It was a great That's outcome. Good great. And um, yeah, and uh, you, you know, in the end of the day, that 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 was my sort of first real business journey. Um, and then um, as I was exiting out of that. Um, I had this opportunity down in Philadelphia and oddly enough, it was Knight Ritter, the company I'd sort of started my career with, but they wanted me as a business development person for their sort of main headquarters operation down in Philly. And so I, my wife and I, by then we had one child and we drove down to Philadelphia on a nice spring day and said, wow, it's beautiful here. Why don't we, why don't we, why don't we move here? And, um, we, we moved there and, uh, spent 23 years there. And wow. um, I was in that newspaper business for a while. We were doing, it was mostly an M&A job. Um, they were really trying to expand. Even back then in the late 90s, uh, the newspaper business was sort of starting to see that it was going to be uh, in trouble um, yeah. because pieces of their business, like the classified ads, which was the growth engine, the, all the money was in classifieds, uh, uh, real estate, apartments, 
uh, cars uh, and jobs uh, employment. The, the, that was that was where all the money was in the in the uh, newspaper business. And so they said, we have to acquire businesses that are starting to take some of this revenue away from us. So we bought shoppers and we bought these little apartment guides. Uh, we bought some Internet businesses. We bought That's job fairs. Yep. We, we started to expand the portfolio to diversify away from just the reliance on the print newspaper. Um, and I ran that for a number of years. And that was a good gig and that sort of what led me eventually I, I as I was I was I was running that and I had this discussion opportunity with a recruiter just like you um guy named Bud Lasalento back in the around 2000 uh and it was this job at this company called Yellow Book and that led me really kind of on the path that I'm still at today 22 years later Yellow, Yellow Book was a Yellow Book was a disruptor in the yellow pages industry yellow pages industry was a 12 billion dollar industry mostly controlled by phone, wow mostly controlled by phone companies mm. and yellow book was a little independent competitor not aligned with the phone company mm. and it was and it was taking away share of wallet um, from the phone company players because they were offering basically a better product at a cheaper price and they wanted somebody to run their marketing and that's what i did how did now that early entrepreneurial bug and that successful exit, we'll call it a successful exit because it was, I, it, it didn't, obviously it wasn't a billion dollar exit or else you'd be tired, retired, we wouldn't be talking right now. But <laughs> um, how did uh, so many people that get that taste of that entrepreneurial juice find it very difficult to work for a large company? Yeah. Uh, and here you are working for, for Thrive, which is, as of today, I don't know, $650 million uh, market cap, or and I don't know what they're doing in revenue, $1.5 billion or so? I don't know what they're doing in revenue. I know it's public. You can tell a me. Over, a little over a billion, yeah. Yeah. How, how's, that, how's that old entrepreneurial kid uh, working for the big company? Do you find that difficult? Is that hard for you? Yeah, that's, that's an excellent question. And I think um, what appealed to me about Yellow Book and the reason I was able to come in there was – it was a super entrepreneurial environment, um, and and really all of the people who were key in the company were uh, entrepreneurs or had started out in some kind of entrepreneurial nice. yeah, environment. Yeah, very attractive too. Yep. Our, yeah. our our CEO at that time, uh, a guy named Joe Walsh, who I still work with at Thrive. He's we're still together twenty years, oh, twenty two years that's later. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, he he had a, his own very successful entrepreneurial career, and he always fostered that kind of environment. So whether it was just your attitude about, um, you know, the company's money is my money or my money is the company's money, you know, I, I, I treat it as if it's my own business. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm, I'm careful with what we spend. Uh, I think of, uh, uh, you know, how we evolve or develop products as I would as if I was doing it myself, our attitude towards hiring, uh, uh, you know. All of these things that, that you sort of would do as if it were your own business, that was always really kind of bred into people there. So it didn't feel like a big company. And frankly, when I joined it, it wasn't that big of a company. We were a couple hundred million dollars. We became oh. a $2 billion company, but it, it, was, it, was, it was not that big when I joined. You have take, you joined it when it was $200 million and you've taken it to a billion. And by the way, got promoted, what, several times? And now you're the chief strategy officer for Thrive, right? Congratulations. Yeah. So, so, uh, yeah, I mean, yellow book, um, yes, it, it had a terrific growth trajectory. A lot of that was driven by acquisition. We did 77 acquisitions during, um, roughly a 15 year period. And some of those were very big over a billion dollars. Some of those were 
uh, smaller, but we had a successful, really a roll-up strategy, um, and we were super successful at acquiring and integrating all these other, mostly other small print players and some larger print wow. players. Um, and eventually, we actually even combined with uh, a, a company doing something similar in London. We became part of what became the Yell Group and went public in London in 2003. Mm. So it was quite a journey. Mm, wow. You know what I love about your background, and I'm sure that the board members and the CEOs you work with love this too. I mean, you got this finance slash, you know, uh, marketing slash sales. I mean, it's like, okay, well, wow, Gordon can, he can almost hit every function, right? I mean, that is such a valuable tool when you combine that with your experience and your education. And you can play it any and play in any of those functional buckets, you know, like, hey, you're a dream to a recruiter. I'm surprised I haven't called you already. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's kind of you to say, you know, I, I, I do think it's really helpful when you have opportunities to do yes. to work in different functions in a career. I think people sometimes want to limit themselves or, you know, either because it's comfortable mm. or they feel that's expert their expertise. But if you can broaden your skill set, I think it's really valuable. And And as you say, I mean, today, so. You know, I exited out of Yellow Book and, and then Joe, who's our CEO, myself and several of the other key team members, we ended up moving over to this company, right. was was called Dex Media. And we took it over and eventually we renamed it Thrive. But I moved in eventually into this role now where I'm doing much more kind of M&A, merger and acquisition type work and strategic love, stuff. Love it. And, love it. And it, and it does um, it does. Uh, 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 leverage your, your your you know multiple of skill sets yes there's a finance component marketing component sales component operational and and having been around the business for a while knowing the different facets it's it's you know really comes in handy did you did uh you and joe and and your partners did you guys uh buy a bunch of stock and 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 take over as majority did did another vc firm or somebody buy a bunch of stock and bring you guys over how did how the deal happen yeah so um the board of the company uh dex media in 2000 and late 2013, early 2014, they weren't sure what their strategy should be. You know, this industry had gone from print to digital mainly, um, but even the digital business was starting to become less profitable and become commoditized. A lot of it was reselling Google search, uh, you know, and and, and Google gets most of the money and you don't get so much. And so it wasn't the Mm -hmm. greatest business. And they brought in first Joe and then the rest of the team to help develop a strategy. And we really said the future for this business should be in creating software for small businesses to help them run their businesses better. And so they liked that strategy, um, brought us in as the new management team. And that was back in 2014. And here it is eight late years later. And we're doing really exactly what we said we were going to do, which was build a SaaS CRM business uh, targeted at the same small business customers the, business, the company had always sold ads to. Uh, we still have mm. the old advertising business. That's that, that piece of the business is still hundreds of millions of dollars, but we've built about a $250 million SaaS CRM business. How about that? Did Joe know the chairman or some key board members, or how did how did that happen? What was the there was a yeah? I mean, we were all in the same industry basically. We were their former okay. competitors, so yes, he you know a, there were a lot of personal connections, and and Joe in particular was brought in by um, uh, the former CEO of the company, uh, Peter McDonald. Okay, and the parent company, the original parent company, is like 125 years old. Like, what was that? Can you give a little history there? <laughs> yeah, so you know, Yellow Pages goes way, way back. The bu- business was kind of invented back in uh, the late 18- 1886 by a guy called R. R. Donnelly. Um, but 
uh, and some people probably know the name Donnelly because they picked up a phone book someday. But um, for many, many, many years, it was AT&T. And then when AT&T got split up, it was the Rbox Regional Bell Operating Companies who ran these yellow page directories. And so you probably, wherever you got up, grew up, mm. you probably got a directory mm. from Verizon or from Southwestern Bell mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. Bell South or SBC. You know, everybody got those. And maybe you went online and went to yellowpages.com. Mm. Those mm -hmm. assets were all owned by the phone companies. And then as the business matured, the phone companies got into fiber or telecom or whatever where the next thing was, these started to be viewed as non-strategic assets and they got spun off. And sometimes they operated independently and sometimes they got bought by a competitor. And so what had been multiple companies eventually got gobbled together and all became kind of one. And the last man standing was Dex Media. And that was the company we took over. I see. Okay. Thank you for that history lesson. I appreciate it. By the way, when you're talking about the phone books, I'm having these visuals of standing in the phone standing in the phone booth and, <laughs> and opening the paper phone book and get, looking at the page I needed, finding the name and then ripping the page out and then kind of looking around to see if anybody saw me rip the page out. Cause I didn't want to get in trouble for that. <laughs> right. You, right. You remember those days? Wow. I, yeah. Oh boy. The phone book days. How about that? Man, that seemed like a long time ago. Didn't it? Or, 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 or Steve Martin and the jerk coming out to his driveway and saying, the phone book is here. The phone book is here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, I now you're just a, you're just slightly older than me, so you know the, you know the feeling too. Remember when we used to get off the airplane at the airport, and you'd want to try to set towards the front, not because not to get off the plane early and get the baggage claim first. You were trying to get to the payphone payphone wall first, right there before the painful payphone wall filled up. Right? Remember you were trying to get 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 to one of the phones. Wow. Yeah. Sure. We're showing yeah. we're showing showing our age. Showing our age. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Okay, so you now, your job as chief strategy officer, you're working with the CFO and the board for M&A. Is that you're out there looking for deals, making deals? Is that your primary role? Yeah, I mean, so, some of the role, as it sounds from the title, is working on, you know, what's the strategy of the company? What products do we and don't we want to offer? You know, who is our customer base? There is mm -hmm. a, a sort of strategic advisory component to it, but a lot of it now uh, is um, looking at growth opportunities. And for, for a few years, I was working on, on kind of our new channels. We were developing new ways to go to market beyond our traditional sales force. But more recently, over the past couple of years, I have moved almost, uh, well, heavily into the merger and acquisition piece. And, you know, as I said before, we've got um, history doing that. That's That's been a way we've grown over the mm -hmm. years in our prior company. And now, now we've done a few decent sized acquisitions over the past few years. We bought um, the uh, business that was formerly the AT&T business from Cerberus, which was a private equity firm. We bought um, uh, Census, which was an Australian yellow pages from Platinum, which is a private equity firm. And most recently we bought a company called Vivial, which was um, uh, another you know yellow page provider. Uh, so we've done a couple of these deals over the past few years. And now we're looking at other ones like that, as well as more in the SaaS space, as you know, as we've moved more aggressively into the SaaS industry, um, we're looking at those opportunities as well. And 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 now in today's environment, where um, you know, growth equity capital is not as cheap as it was a year ago. Mm -hmm. uh, many of these companies that were losing money that were just growing because people had loan, you know, invested. Now suddenly they're trying to figure out what's the next. What's the, what's the next step for them? And many of them are sort of up for sale. So we're, we're looking at those opportunities now as well. Mm, uh, yeah, good move. For the people that 
may not have heard of Thrive. Let's do real quick a quick elevator pitch from Gordon. By the way, for everybody, Thrive is T H R Y V, thrive.com. Um, most people have probably heard of it, but just in case, want to make sure we get it out there. Can you give us the elevator pitch real quick? Um, of, of And by the way, the YouTube channel has a nice cover video on it. Uh, I mean, the, the website is great, but in Gordon's own words, give us the overview real quick. Sure. Um, well, first of all, our customers are pretty much all small businesses. They're your local plumber. They're your local HVAC, you know, heating and cooling guy. They're your local electrician, doctor, dentist, lawyer, maybe the dog walker who comes to your house to walk the dog. It tends to be local services, businesses working on your home, your car, or some aspect of your own physique. Um, okay. And what they use it for is really to run their day-to-day -day operations. So what do I mean by that? Everything from the moment you sort of find them online and book an appointment to the minute they send you some kind of reminder like, hey, yeah, uh, Steve, I'll be out to walk the dog at three o'clock on Tuesday, or I'll be there for your massage at five o'clock on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. That they use, you know, when they send you those reminders, that 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 all goes through the Thrive CRM. Um, then, if you have any back and forth with them, whether it's via email or text or chat or whatever, that all goes through the Thrive CRM. Mm -hmm. If he sends me an invoice through the Thrive CRM, if I sign it electronically, I can do that through the Thrive CRM too. And then finally, you know, if they ask you for a review, that all goes through the Thrive CRM. So all those things, many of them could be done some other way. Uh, either offline or online. Well, the beauty of Thrive is it puts it all in one place. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the mm -hmm. business can really manage their end-to-end -end client experience from kind of the minute they meet you all the way through the end of the relationship, all in one place. And for a small business, you know, that, that you know, often the small businesses, they're really good at what they actually do, right? They're really good at plumbing or they're really good electrician, but they're not so good at business management because that's not mm -hmm. kind of what their training is. Mm -hmm. And so having a system that allows them to manage the business in one place and, and capture all the customer data and have it easily accessible. That's like really, really valuable to them. And that's basically what the software does. So target company is 100,000 to 100 million? Uh, 100,000 to probably 10 million. Oh, I see. Okay, sorry. I was off base here a little bit. All right. Does it replace QuickBooks for me? Does it replace HubSpot for me? What? So right now, I'll just give you, I'll just tell you my own story here at RiderFlex. So we're using HubSpot, QuickBooks. We use Google Drive to store a bunch of stuff. Um, we're using uh, lead, or we're using a different tool for for lead capture and all this. I mean, I got, I don't know, eight tools I'm opening up every day. Yeah. So you've you've made <laughs> you've you've kind of made the case for me in a sense there because um, a, a lot of businesses use these we call them point solutions and once you start having mm. more than one point solution mm. because mm. your business mm. is growing you have multiple needs they don't connect so easily right and you right. start realizing wow i got all this different stuff i'm using yes. and none of it connects and you say i could use a system that you know ties it all together for me in one place and that's really where thrive comes in so what does it get rid of to your question we don't get rid of QuickBooks because most businesses use QuickBooks. They live on QuickBooks, but we integrate with QuickBooks. And so okay. with a couple of clicks, we, we have a, an app, you know, set up an app store set up to enable you to do this okay. with a couple of clicks. We integrate. So the data flows back and forth seamlessly. You don't have to change what you're doing in QuickBooks or in Thrive and the data goes back and forth. And if you use, um, you know, Gmail, you can incorporate your Gmail into our inbox. So you can use, you know, a lot of people have multiple ways they communicate. They use Facebook, they use Gmail. Yes. They, they, there's also a, 
uh, a Thrive inbox where you can generate emails directly out of Thrive. So those could all sit in one inbox. So you can see all your communications in one place. Again, really valuable. So you're not using multiple channels, multiple devices. You can see it all in one place. Um, probably HubSpot. what we were- HubSpot. Oh yeah, yeah. HubSpot. Um, I would say HubSpot is often, our customers are, are sort of right below the HubSpot level and Hub, HubSpot's more expensive than Thrive. Yes, um, yes. So often from a price perspective, it's higher. Mm, I would mm. say we do most of what HubSpot does, not everything. And they do some of what we do, but definitely not everything. There's okay. a little bit of a crossover. So okay. that would probably be where you'd probably make a decision, which one do I want to use? I see. Okay. Yeah. Trying to just uh, assess my own uh, situation. The guy that I had uh, detail my Jeep the other day before I made the journey to Oklahoma, because I live in Colorado and I had to clean it up here before mom saw it. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, he was using something because um, I could pay him right there on the phone. He was texting me the day before in the morning of, I could tell it was an automated text. Hey, your appointment's coming up, blah, blah, blah. I wonder if he was using Thrive. Would, would I, I if, if I look at his text, will I know it's Thrive? Uh, if you look at maybe not the text, but if you look at either his website or if you look at an appointment reminder, you'll probably see a powered by Thrive on there. Okay, so website. Oh, so Thrive does the website for companies. We yeah, if the company has a website that they love, we don't have to replace it. But many customers are happy to have us build their website for them or replace mm -hmm. their website. Mm -hmm. We build killer websites; they're fantastic. And one mm -hmm. of the things that's nice is that it integrates you know, beautifully with the Thrive software. So for example, right on your website, the appointment selection, that, you know, we build those widgets right into the site, um, you know, the calendar, uh, the, you know, send me an est estimate, send me an invoice, that's all built into your website. So it feels really seamless. That's another tool we use, Calendly. Do you replace Calendly? Uh, we do have a calendar function. So basically, yes. Mm, wow. Okay. Yeah. And what about an app? What if I need an app? Can you build me the website and the app? Yeah, an website. app? Yeah. Website and the app. We don't build apps for businesses. We found that generally people don't want apps for, if you're talking about the customers, like loading an app, most, most customers don't want an app for their plumber, for their electrician, for the pizza see, shop, I for see, the restaurant. It's too, you know, most, most of us, you know, just want apps for like, you know, Facebook or Twitter or something like that. You don't use it for every little local business. Uh, I see. Okay, very good. All right, let me hit you with a tough question. You may not want to answer this, but I'm guessing your CEO has to answer it. So I was watching the stock. Talk to me about the stock. What, what, give me, give me, what, what, what are we doing to, if I'm a stockholder and I'm calling you, I'm like, all right, Gordon, come on, man. What, what are we doing yeah. here? Give me, give me back to that five-year high. What are we doing? <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, we went public in November of 2020, um, went public at about eight bucks. The stock, uh, because we had terrific results and continue to have terrific results, uh, the stock ran up all the way into the 40s. Um, 2022, sometime in 20, sometime in, no, wait. Yeah, when, when, yeah late, late last year, early this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and uh, we've, we've had continued excellent earnings. Our, our our third quarter earnings report was 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 excellent. You can go back and find it on our on our website. Okay. Um, the two things that have uh, driven the stock down a little bit, although we're still hanging in there, we're still in the sort of twenty dollar range. So it's it's yeah. it's come down from its highs, but it's still it's still you know we think in a in a, in a decent place and, and certainly poised for growth. Um, two things: one, 
with what's happened in the market overall this year, particularly in the tech sector because yeah. of interest rates and the rest of what's going yeah. on in the economy. Yeah. Um, you know, there's been some come down because, but we've we've survived that much. I would say better than many other tech companies. The second thing is we had one very large stockholder um, who, ah, for their killer. own re- for their own reasons, um, mm. I won't go to the whole story, but for their own mm. reasons, wanted to sell down their 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 share, um, <laughs> which was a good thing because we brought in uh, the top names, you know, institutional holders, the Vanguard, okay. the Fidelities, um, okay. the T Rowe prices. Right. We have a, a stellar uh, list right. of of shareholders. Um, but with that much selling going on from one source, it did drive the shares down a little bit. That was something we knew was going to happen. It really had nothing to do with us in particular. It was for their own, you know, particular reasons of that, mm-hmm. you know, hedge fund. Um, but that's pretty much done. That's run its course. That guy is down to an acceptable level, and 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 so we're, you know, we feel like we're in a good place. And and as our results continue to be good. Uh, and hopefully, you know, the interest rate environment improves, uh, you know, we, we, we think we're going to see a good recovery. I appreciate that answer. Thank you very much. Excellent answer, by the way. You handled that curveball really well. <laughs> I've heard uh, it before. What's the uh, what's what's your vision on the economy? You know, I uh, as a recruiting firm <clears throat> kicking ass the last 24 months, the last month and a half, people started getting a little nervous. It always happens this time of year a little bit anyway. But um you know, there's a little little nervousness now in the market. What what do you think? I know you're you're, you're not an economist, but you, to make predictions. But what do you think next year is good for for America? What's happening, Gordon, for for business and stocks? What do you think? Yeah, Steve, I'm I'm, I'm not obviously. So this is just you know what I see. But um, yeah. no, I think we're going to have a recession. Um, yeah, yeah. I I think okay. it's going to be I think it's going to be a fairly rough maybe six months coming. Um, I think some of the um. Uh, over exuberance that was in the economy mm. because the Fed was, you know, had mm. such an easy money policy and yes. everything was driven up. You look at those stock price, you know, so many companies had such a run up um, and mm-hmm. there was so much money sloshing around and all those checks being sent to people's homes. Yeah. Um, you know, I think now that things are tightening up and they have to, right? The Fed kind of has to do what they, to, to take some of the, um, you know, the inflation out of the economy. Um, so I think there will be, um, uh, a, a recession where I think there will be, you know, you've seen it in the tech sector, some layoffs, yes. uh, which is sad and un- unfortunate, but probably necessary to, 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 to squeeze that um, over exuberance out of the, out of the, out of the economy. Um, and I think that will probably work its way through. in I can't tell you for sure, six months, nine months. Um, and then I think we'll probably, res- will interest rates will come down a little bit. Prices will come down a little bit. Um, uh, I think you'll see, uh, you know, um, uh, unemployment go up a little bit. I don't know that's going to be crazy bad, but I think it'll go up a couple of points. Um, and I think that will lead us to probably something back to approaching normalcy. And the, I think the stock market, too, then probably starting to recover maybe the second half of 2023. Do you think some of those tech companies jumped the gun a little bit? or do you, you, I mean, when you look at their performance, it seems like the layoffs was ahead of bad performance i'm not an expert please don't don't quote me on that anybody by the way we're recording this on november 29th 2022 for reference in case anybody's listening this listening to this two years from now yeah i don't know i I felt i felt like they were jumping the gun a little bit like okay guys calm down let's not let's not uh you don't have to lower the lifeboats yet (laughs) right 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 well uh, as you know i mean a lot of those companies had hired tremendous numbers of people and so maybe they had gotten a little ahead of themselves in that 
you know, in that area. Um, Maybe and so. then um, I think also as their as investors punished them, they felt they needed to respond yeah. accordingly. Yeah, yeah, probably so. But any layoffs, by the way, at Thrive? Uh, no, I mean we we look we we're always evaluating our headcount. We're always evaluating our needs, um, and so there's always people coming and going. Uh, we've not had anything, you know, that worth a press release. Okay, very good, my friend. Thank you. What's the what's the status for Gordon? What I mean, I CEO is inevitable. I mean, it, you just look at your LinkedIn LinkedIn profile. And like I said, you know, these days, <clears throat> although I used to be a CPG uh, executive, uh, operations executive for a long time, I've owned a recruiting firm now for six years, and I'm looking at your profile, thinking CEO is next step. Uh, do you have some ambitions? Do you want to talk about it here? Do you want to share with the board of Thrive and the CEO that you're about to leave and go? <laughs> I have. <laughs> it's very kind of you to say, and I appreciate I appreciate the nice yeah. words. Um, uh, I, you know, I'm happy, you know, doing what I do. I work with great people. Um, it's an exciting company with a great future. Um, I right now I'm laser focused on getting some of these deals done that we really want to get done in the, you know, back end of this year, early part of next year. Um, so, you know what i'm focused on is just helping the company do well and and hopefully uh driving some good results and hopefully as you said the stock price which i do care about um you know behaves accordingly and i i think it will i want anybody listening to this episode that recruits gordon in the future to be ceo to understand that you they have got to hire recruiting from riderflex for all their hires because that's how they found gordon was because of the podcast i just want to make sure that's clear to anybody listening okay <laughs> and you do an amazing job anybody who has to listen to your other podcasts i listened to uh, some of them before this show and you're really good at this well i i thank you sir i appreciate it hey congratulations man great career i mean your parents are obviously super proud um and your parents had wonderful careers too sounds like a wonderful family your boys are off to a great start i mean hey uh knock on wood man you got it you got it going on right now my friend well i Appreciate that. Yeah, I was I was lucky to have some some uh, you know terrific parents. They unfortunately have both passed away, but um, I was I was you know super lucky to to be able to be raised in such a good family. We tried to yep. do our best with our kids, and they they seem to be doing okay too. I will say one thing: I told both of my kids, uh, or all three of our kids, when when they were younger, was was as they were thinking about career choices. I did try to point them into either financing or engineering, because I had learned along the way that those are very durable skill sets to have, and you can do a lot of things with them. And thankfully, they actually listened to me. So, so far, yes. they're all doing very well with that. I was hoping that you would give me a, some 80s, like an early 80s story in there. Maybe you had never told anybody, but maybe I'll, maybe the next time you come on, we'll, uh, we'll have a, a, a little cocktail or something before you get started. I can get you loosened up just a tad. Okay. All right. Gordon, Gordon, thank you so much for sharing your story on the Riderflex podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. It's been great to be here. Oh, 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 oh